0: Hello, my name is Sam Ash. I'm the CEO of Bunker Hill Mining Company. And we are in the process of restarting one of the iconic uh, US lead zinc silver mines located here in northern Idaho in the Silver Valley. And it's a pleasure to speak with you all today about that.
1: Sam, uh, thanks for coming on the show. First time for the matter of So I do appreciate that. We'd like a new story here. So, uh, you used a word there, which I, I think we need to kind of understand. What's the, what's the, a what's the restart? People talk about restarts and retreads and reboots and so forth. What, what have you got?
0: Well, absolutely. So, the, the Bunker Hill silver, silver Mine, or Lead Zinc Silver Mine here in Northern Idaho was discovered in the late 1800s, operated continuously for 100 years and was an absolutely integral part of the uh, industrial revolution in the United States through uh, two world wars as well. Uh, Primary producer of lead, zinc, and silver. Uh, Historically, it had a lead smelter and a zinc plant. Uh, Because of uh, environmental regulations changing and environmental performance, it was shut down in the 1980s. And uh, Bunker Hill is looking to restart this uh, mining operation and uh, bring back you know, really, what is one of the iconic U.S. mining stories back into production?
1: Okay, so what what did you inherit? What, what gives you confidence that there's there's enough there at today's prices um, to be one economic and to produce uh, the scale that it may have done in the past?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you know, when the mine went into closure, it's important to understand the you know the the uh, you know the narrative around why it went into closure. When the mine went into closure still had 10 years worth of reserves uh, SEC compliant reserves on the book uh, the mine was still economic um, and it was really shut down for economic uh, or for uh, environmental uh, performance reasons so when we came in and we looked at it we you know we have a hundred years worth of historic uh, information you know over 3,500 drill holes, we have all of the uh, all of the ge- geology maps that were made meticulously on on Mylar over that, that hundred year period. We were able to digitize all of that, uh, put all of that together, and that really led us into the in the right direction. And uh, it just jumped off the page that look there is a lot of life left in uh, in this deposit.
1: Right. Okay. So so give, give me more on the on the data there. I mean, t- t- ten years. Uh, life of mine, what does that actually mean in terms of the scale of this? What, what, what do you think you've got?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we're looking at uh, right now our uh, resource is 6.7 million tons in the measured and indicated category, 6.6 million tons in the inferred category. We expect a lot of that inferred to uh, convert at a relatively high rate uh, due to the nature that it was actually a historic re- reserve. Um, and you know the the grades are re- really pretty good. You know, five percent zinc, three percent lead, an ounce and a half silver. That puts you in the nine nine point three nine point four percent zinc equivalent range. You know that's a really uh, you know that's a really robust grade over those tonnages, uh, and and because of the nature of the mineralization, a little bit unique in the Silver Valley. Uh, you know we're able to use bulk mining methods and get that production rate up. You know fifteen hundred tons a day plus.
1: Right. Okay. So, and so I'm going to, going to skip through a few topics, and I'll, I'll come back to others in, in a second here because I want to I understand the kind of thesis for why you you go into this. Right, Idaho hasn't got the best reputation. There's a few, a few companies that've been waiting around for licenses and permits for a long time. Uh, who've been on been on the show has okay historically has been. What's it like now? I mean, this is a, this is a site which you know um, you know shut down, needs to be cleaned up, and you know in, in the environmental environment today seems a lot more. Uh, A lot tougher, a lot more robust than perhaps it was in the '80s. So, again, what's giving you the confidence that you can get this thing into production?
0: Yeah, absolutely, and that goes kind of right to the heart of uh, of the kind of the thesis and the strategy of of Bunker Hill as a company. Uh, It's really there's a really important distinction in um, in in regulatory environment in the Western United States. So the you know the the if you're on federal land. Um, you fall under a, a process called the NEPA process. Okay, now that's quite an involved process and, and can take a decade or more to, to work your way through. Uh, but there are, all across the Western United States, you know, a, a number of deposits, Bunker Hill being one of them, that's on patented mining claims and, and private land. Now, if you're on patented m- mining claims and, and private land, you fall under the state regulatory authority. So even within Idaho, you know, there's kind of, I would characterize it as there's two categories of regulatory environment that you're dealing with and working with. And Bunker Hill is, from a time perspective, under the more favorable of that, which is the, which is on private land, patented mining claims falls under the state of Idaho regulatory authority. And the state of Idaho is a very strong proponent of responsible development and, and resource development. Uh, you know, so that's very helpful. Now, under that context as well, Bunker Hill is uh, an EPA Superfund site, which uh, you know, which can be you know a little scary when you when you look at it at the start and before you peel back the layers of the onion, you really come to understand the the nature of the challenge. So, what's important to understand is that in 2017, there was a consent decree reached with the uh, with the EPA, and it settled all historic environmental liability at Bunker Hill. So the site essentially has a clean bill of health on a go-forward basis from an EPA perspective, which is critically important. Right. Uh, now, now under that, you know, the previous owner of the mine was not able to make uh, water treatment payments. So we do have a payable that is that is uh, that will be paid back out of cash flow to the EPA for historic water treatment. But essentially, what sets this apart and what makes this Project so interesting from a regulatory perspective, is it falls under the regulatory authority of the state of Idaho. It's on private land and patented mining claims. Does not require to go through the NEPA permitting process, which means that we can advance the project at the pace that we can at the pace that we can from a technical and a financial standpoint.
1: Okay. Okay. Thanks. That's fairly thorough. Okay. Patented and private. you're, I guess you're in, the, you're in the right space, but what's also happening out there is a lot of kind of social media kind of activity, NGOs um, up, in, you know, up in, in Canada, I, I guess, and the, the US, we've kind of got First Nations uh, issues uh, as well. And, you know, these groups, are causing problems across the states, across North America, for mining companies, and even the governments <laughs> talking a good game, but not actually, it, it would appear, delivering. So, again, so in that environment, how do you sort of, you know, what what are the hurdles you need to ob- overcome? What are the what are the obstacles you need to um, swerve around um, to get this thing? Not, not just having a clean bill of health, but actually being able to move forward without with hindrance?
0: Well, absolutely, and you know, when, we, when we came into the, this project, you know, it was absolutely with the understanding that you know, you're coming into an environment that has a, a, you know, a, um, a poor track record environmentally, just to say the least. You're coming into, we're coming into a community that when the mine went into closure, uh, entered a period of severe socioeconomic uh, stagnation. Um, you know, so the this is really about you know re- regenerating uh, you know a uh, a whole you know socio economic challenge area in the United States and and uh, people are very conscious in, in the local community of, of not only the uh, you know the 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 consequences but the benefits that, that mining has you know there's still a st- very strong uh, mining culture in in the Silver Valley and really it's it's about uh, being on the front foot and making sure that we're being, you know, very, very transparent with, with everything we're doing. And uh, and we work very hard at that in the local community and really, um, you know, moving the project forward in that manner and keeping an open dialogue and communication allows and enables uh, the uh, the regulatory authority to uh, you know, to be more open and and able to work with us to advance the project.
1: Right. Okay. Okay. I, I, it, it, it's it is tough. It is very very tough uh, all over the world. And I'm, I'm, this isn't an know mm-hmm. thing specifically, but it's you know each year's has has its own challenges. Can I talk about money? Because you made an announcement in December about fifty million finance package. You talk about a uh, you know eight million royalty uh, can. Uh, convertible debenture. You've talked about you know fifteen million dollars fifteen million bucks worth of of equity um, in April, and then in recently in June you kind of announced a like fifteen million convertible debt. There's lots of conversation about money. How much of that actually happened, uh, and how much money did you, did you get in, and, and what type of money was it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you know, to start with, you know, we we announced in December the uh, you know the fifty million dollar um, uh, financing with, with Sprout, okay. Um, and and as a part of that, there was also a, an accommodation for an additional fifteen million dollars of permitted indebtedness. And where we are right now, where it stands today, is the the uh, the eight million dollars for the royalty, um, it, the royalty convertible debenture, is uh, has been received. The six million dollars for the uh, convertible debenture, and then uh, just recently, um, you know, Sprout. Uh, um, Came in and decided to take that uh, fifteen million dollars of additional permitted indebtedness uh, themselves. Okay, so that's what's in the door now, and we expect that you know by over the next month or two that uh, the we will finalize and bring in the uh, final component, which is the thirty-seven million dollar multi-metal stream.
1: Right. So a lot of money's come in. Market count today, what thirty-two? Thirty-five. Yep. Yeah. that's that yeah. sort of level. So, you, someone's not listening um, to what you're doing. Is, is is that is that the case? I mean, do you feel frustrated, or do you feel that actually everyone involved that understands where we're at and, and the market will reward you at some point?
0: Well, look, there's a couple of things there. I think that you know, absolutely, we we would have we would love to see that uh, you know that uh, you know the, the stories getting a little bit more traction, getting a little bit more excitement. But I think when you look at it in, in the context of a uh, particularly a junior mining market that has been absolutely crushed over the last 4-5 months, when you look at it in that context, you, see, you actually see that, uh, you know, that we have some pretty strong support. And I certainly know that uh, when we talk, go and talk to you know, our major shareholders, there is strong, strong long-term support and belief in the project and the story.
1: But are they are they are they strong are they strong and long because they're underwater, or are they strong and long because they feel that you you, you can turn this around? Because it's 30 percent of this retail, and the rest is you know, well management, you know, was it between six or eight? Um, and the rest of it's institutional or high net worth, right? So you you've got some big blue chip names in this thing, but why are they there? how how did they get into this? Well,
0: I think there, there's a couple of reasons. I, I think that you know, we are we are a unique story from the perspective when you look around the uh, the, the mining uh, environment in the Western United States. We're one of two or three projects that is actually going to come into production and produce metal within the next 18 months. OK, uh, you know, that that is very unique. Um, you know, we are not a kind of a long term exploration you know, story. We are a we are a story that is going to produce metal and be generating cash flow in the very near term. Um, I, I think the other um the other um
1: But have, other- how did they get into it? Can you I mean t- talk me through you know Merck and Ruffer and Valley Stone and Tech and Hummingbird and yeah you know, god knows who else it, it, it's a kind of extraordinary for a company of your size to that much you know meaningful institution in, in there and that little retail. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So you know, I think a lot of that comes to the, the team that's in place. So, you know, our executive chairman, Richard Williams, he was a former chief operating officer at, uh, at Barrick. And he was brought in by John Thornton to execute an operational turnaround uh, for Barrick. And over kind of a three year period, uh, was able to double the operating margin in a declining metal price environment. Um, and of course, I-, I was part of that team was running the Lemwana mine in uh, Zambia. And we had a pretty significant turnaround there, you know, going from a uh, you know a highly cash flow negative operation, to one that was you know stable, steady, and had a bright future. Uh, Brad Barnett, our vice president of sustainability, w- was the former head of global closure at Barrick, uh, you know, so has a very strong track record of you know regulatory interaction and engagement. And then Dave Weens, our chief financial officer, uh, comes from a background with SSR and everybody knows the you know the successful story uh, of their growth trajectory. So when you look at the team, um you know we all have uh, obviously you know, you know connections that that are useful. Um but I also think that that track record and then the vision we laid out of coming and building a uh, an operating mining company focused on regenerating and bringing life back into historic assets, you know, in the western United States really kind of resonated. Uh and and uh, and that track record of being uh, operators and and builders, uh, you know, is uh, is a big part of that.
1: Okay, I caught all those names as they fell to the ground. But they, those are big blue chip names, big 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 backgrounds. But this is a small junior, 30 35 million market cap today. I know the markets come off, but you, you get my point. You've got to play it differently. You've got thirty percent of your your shareholders. Your shareholder is retail and that's usually the thing that drives liquidity and the way that you're raising money do, it doesn't really kind of let them into the game as it were so you've got to get that balance right so how, yeah. do, how does this move through the phases going forward because you're going to want to raise cheaper money by having a higher share price going forward um and you, you need those retail guys in there or you need to increase liquidity somehow so what's the plan
0: yeah absolutely you know and i think that uh you know when we look at when we look at bunker hill it's really you know, this is the the first step. You know, this is the cornerstone asset of what of what we see is going to be a, a multi asset company in the very near future. You know, we we see the opportunity to repeat the success that we're having here at Bunker Hill across a, an array of assets and and build a portfolio of assets. So I think that's key. Um, and then uh, and then absolutely getting to that point where you know. The Bunker Hill can act as that cornerstone asset and bear a lot of the uh, of the cost of that growth trajectory is really the you know the strategy going forward.
1: Right, I'm not sure that answers my question because like I, I think in terms of cash, and your access to cash, it, it's great, right? And you also got warrants. So, you know, you 168 million warrants at you know 48 cents. It it it's all good, but it's the t- the ty- the type of money. I guess that is what I'm sort of interested in, in terms of how this thing builds out. Otherwise, it may as well be a private company, quite frankly, because it doesn't sound like you, you, you've trouble reaching capital. So, h- how do you manage the the, the, this, the size of this thing today and driving that that growth? Through? acquisitions is one thing. Well-funded acquisitions is is, is one thing, but it, it feels like you're sort of dealing with your arm tied behind your back a bit.
0: Well, I think that. Um I think that you know when when you look at well what we're doing here today you know getting out there getting the story out there I think that if you look at the you know the website and you look at you know the the amount of information sharing and the transparency that you know that we're showing about progress and progress updates getting out there across multiple you know kind of social media platforms you know attending conferences you know and and really just you know just. You know, bringing the uh, attention and light to the, to what is a really a pretty interesting story and and looking to differentiate ourselves and focus on the the aspects of the projects that do differentiate ourselves
1: which are what the fact that you guys are mind builders or you know successful operators that you can get cash that you've got an asset, asset which you're going to restart but and you can find more I mean is that is that it big, big team will has done well will do well you know, trust trust the quality of what we've done before. Is it is it as simple as that?
0: Yeah. Well, I, th- I think that you know some of it is the team, but it's certainly you know it's it's not about what we did yesterday. It's about what we're doing now and what we're doing going forward. You know, there's no doubt about that. And and I think that it is around around that strategy and that vision, which is we're going to take a a phenomenal asset and we're going to put it into production, and that's going to be the cornerstone that's going to allow us to uh, you know to really go out there. And, and repeat that success. And we see tremendous opportunities. And I think you can see that in the joint venture that we're entering into in Colorado. You know, Colorado's another phenomenal jurisdiction. It has it has a lot of the same characteristics. It has a long mining history. It has, you know, world-class mineral endowments. It has uh, endowments that are on patented and private land. Um, and, uh, and and we see a lot of potential and opportunity there, you know, particularly with our business partner that we're working with down there. You know, I think that there is an uh, you know, opportunity to create a rather steep uh, growth
1: trajectory. Okay. And, and what? Well, let's, let's go back to Idaho, if you don't mind, because I want to understand the, the types of assets that you're looking for, whether it's kind of cookie cutter approach or it's a case of we'll take whatever we can get our hands on. Because, you know, in terms of the numbers, it's a low capex, you know, quick payback period, all, all that kind of good stuff. And you talk 10, mm-hmm. 11 years life of mine potentially. And these things tend to grow as you do more work and it's only PEA stage, but it's not a big project today. Is that no right? So is that is that indicative of what you're going to look for? Well, I think that the, I think that that's actually what you're going to see kind of across
0: the mining industry, really. You know, when you look at the, you know, you look at metal demand, you know, continuing to grow, and actually, you know, the world is just now beginning to recognize, you know, actually the quantum of metal that's going to be required to make a, a, a green energy transition, and then you look at the deposits that are available. You know, I really truly believe that you're going to see fewer and fewer of the, you know, four or $5 billion CapEx projects in in risky jurisdictions, you know, with uh, with questionable economic and and social outcomes, that's going to become further, further and further and and far between when you see that. And I think that uh, I think that there's an appetite for capital to look at projects that are smaller in scale, um, easier to execute, um and uh, and really of a different type of scale that are really kind of focused on integrating into the community uh integrating into the environment easier to easier to permit easier to ad- advance and it's going to take quite honestly a lot of those to uh, meet the metal demand you know they uh, you know the and and I think you're going to see and I think you're beginning to see the mining industry begin to change a little bit in that regard
1: that, that's, an, that's an interesting thought. It's a really interesting thought. Especially given the background of, of the team. Barack came through loud and clear. Um, we, I would have, would not have, um, guessed that. So that, that, that's an interesting thought. And that's, that's a way of kind of, is that kind of de- defense strategy in terms of the environmental and the, you know, ESG more broadly, uh, you feel that, that's the what. What just what states are looking well, for? Provinces are looking for. I mean, big mining companies want big projects because they get the scale, they, they they get their efficiencies and so forth. But they take a little bit longer.
0: They do take a little bit longer, and and you know the quantum of risk that you, that capital is taking on is on a whole another order of magnitude. I mean, when you look at some of the projects and the scale of the capital that's being deployed, and then and then the quantum of risk associated with that. And you know, if there is an, you know an adjustment or or a change, you know, it becomes it can very quickly become existential risk even to some of those very large, you know, very well capitalized mining companies. And I and uh, quite frankly, I, you know, I think that there's a different model and a better model out there, which is to look at projects that are you know smaller scale, have excellent returns, um, and are at the end of the day easier to execute and generate a better outcome both uh, economically and for the local community
1: interesting risk adjusted return on capital invested nice okay my buyer um, and talk to me about the obviously you picked up a plant recently didn't, didn't cost you too much what, what where does that fit in, in the plan what's the timing and you know does that is that a liability in the sense that you now, now need to spend some money? On it, um, and, and what does what's the whole picture look like?
0: Oh, I don't think it's a liability. I think that's absolutely a strength and a huge and a huge de-risking uh, event for for us here. You know, when you look at a process plant, you know, we the, we uh, purchased the process plant from a major, you know, who's on our shareholder register now, um, you know, Tech, and uh, you know, and they are a top-notch company. And when they put a facility into care and maintenance they truly, uh, they truly maintain it and, and take care of it. Um, and it's 140 miles away. Uh, you know, the, I'm looking out my window right now, and the uh, and, and the demobilization is largely complete. The four ball mills are, are sitting out just across the yard, and then I, I can see them now. You know, we have the, you know, the uh, the full differential flotation circuit that, that we've brought over. And it's really ideally suited, you know, that that plant was operating at, Two thousand tons a day, doing differential flotation for uh, lead zinc, and uh, and that's exactly what we're going to be looking to do here. Um, and and you know that's gone exceedingly well, and actually accelerates that timeline to free cash flow tremendously. You know when you go out there, and you're looking at uh, acquiring a new mill, um, you know, <coughs> the the waiting list now is you know, two two and a half you know, maybe three years to, uh, you know, to get a, 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 you know, a processing plant constructed work through the supply chain logistics, and then all of the uncertainty that comes around cost inflation all along the way. You know, we in that acquisition, we pre- created an enormous amount of certainty, as opposed to uh, as opposed to unknowns and risks. So we're seeing that as a huge de-risking event for, for the project and the company.
1: Okay. And, okay. And talking, talking about managing risk and cost of capital, is something that we, we've mentioned, you know, you're, you I, I don't know what your, your blended average is on the, on the three sets of convertibles that you've got out, but I suspect it's slightly over 9%. Um, do you, do you and that's unusual for a company of, of your size, unless they're pretty darn sure that they're going to be able to afford the coupon on that. Um, or are they going to be able to refinance that out in the, in the near term? So, have you got what, what, what the broadly what the terms on there? Is there a holiday period, or are you shelling out now? On the converts. Oh, on the converts.
0: Yeah, they're they're um, they, they do bear interest in the convert. The you know the first convertible date is actually structured to be um, uh, repaid out of the stream. Okay, and then the uh, and then the second convert has a um, has a tenure out to twenty twenty five, and has a convert price at uh, thirty cents a share. Yeah. So yeah, we. But we're what? what I, I,
1: you're, you're, that's what the point is. You've got to be. There's a cost to that money, and there's a risk to that money, and you've made an assessment that you're you're so sure of being able to get into production and get into revenue, or ramp up and into revenue, that you're comfortable with those numbers, right? And that's all I'm asking, um, really. Because oh yeah, most people wouldn't be brave yeah, enough yeah. to we're, do that.
0: You know, we're, we're yeah, we're very comfortable with those numbers. But what we're really excited about is being able to have access at a lower cost of capital because of demonstrated success and having a having an asset that is in production. You know, we would absolutely like to see a lower cost. Of cost of capital and we expect to see a lower cost of capital as we move forward. Uh, but, uh, but we're certainly absolutely comfortable
1: with what we have at the moment. Okay. Should we should we bound on down um, to uh, Colorado? You started telling us about it there. What's that JV look like and who's it with?
0: Yeah, so the it, it's kind of an interesting story. There's a, you know, the the Minewater LLC, which is our um, which is our JV partner there. Consolidated a historic mining district in Colorado by coming in and solving a water quality challenge uh, in conjunction with the state of Colorado. And in exchange for that, they were able to consolidate both the land package and the mineral tenure, Uh, again, private land, patented mining claims. and, um, And they were able to monetize that, subsequently, monetize the water asset. And what they're joint venturing with us for. Is to begin to uh, exploit and unlock the mineral potential uh, of of that asset. Uh, the, just a little bit about the district. It's a historic mining district. Six hundred and fifty thousand ounces of uh, gold you know, produced pre World War II at around twenty three grams a ton. So um, you know, um, so really you know, somewhat small scale. But again, you know, pre World War II there was a lot of dynamics in the in the gold market at that time. And all across the Western United States, there's a lot of deposits that were um, that were closed solely because of kind of that that gold dynamic um, and monetary policy decisions around World War II. Uh, that uh, you know that are really kind of interesting uh, in, in today's world. You know, we it is an exploration uh, project. We're going to be looking at advancing, starting right, starting much the way we did right here at, at Bunker Hill. Which is taking all of that historic geologic data, uh, you know, hand-drawn maps and, and geologic maps, uh, production records, and uh, digitizing that, getting a, a good three D uh, geological model, identifying exploration targets, uh, you know, really starting from uh, from the ground up. Uh, but it is in a it is in a really. Uh, well, mineralized uh, mining district. You know, it's about five miles as the crow flies from the Climax Mulebdeno um, mine. It's just over the mountain from uh, Leadville, Colorado. So we're in an area that has a lot of mineral potential, which is really pretty exciting.
1: Right. And how much money are you allocating to that over the next uh, 24 months or 12 months, 24 months? Uh,
0: the, the joint venture calls for us to uh, make an expenditure of $4 million over the first three years of the joint venture.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Right. okay. 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 Interesting. So, um, so right. So it's not. It's not kind of. Uh, it's, it's not hanging over you. I mean, kind of like the EPA. you paid the first two of the nineteen million down. Um, and then it's is it roughly like a couple of million bucks, or a, a year? No, t- t- three million bucks a year after that. So it's not a massive overhang in terms of your, your plans. And um, can you remind me what, from from the PEA, what what does it indicate that you'll be ter- throwing off in terms of cash? I, I, accepting it is just a PEA.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're um, at an asset level, you know, you're, you're looking at, uh, you, know, 15 to, you know, 15 to 25 million a year in, in free cash. You know, out of that, you know, you have uh, stream payments and, uh, you know, and uh, royalty payments, payments to the EPA. That leaves us, you know, with that, you know, five to 10 million a year free cash uh, at the end of the day, going to treasury.
1: Okay, so, so it's I guess it's a building block. Is that that how how you're viewing it? Because, like I say, it's, it's not a big project, but if it's giving you somewhere between five and ten a year for a period of time, that allows you. I guess it gives you a bit of freedom in terms of the and to come look at other stuff and then worry about how you finance it later.
0: Yeah, there. Well, and there's two ways, There's two. There's a couple of uh, aspects that when we look at it, why why it's interesting. To us. number number one. It's an asset that you can get into production and get into free cash flow quickly. So that's what this plan represents. Is the is the fastest, you know, route to free cash flow. You know, beyond that, there's a there's a tremendous amount of upside potential, both through you know the expansion of capacity, uh, but also through a, a transition um, and a and a pivot, you know, towards silver. So historically, the Bunker Hill mine, it was the third largest silver producer in the Silver Valley, produced 165 million tons. Now. I'm sure everyone will recognize that in our resource and in our mining plan it's very zinc dominant, uh, particularly at the start. But that's a huge opportunity to lever up, you know, that uh, you know that that cash flow by targeting and focusing exploration and resource development on bringing more silver into the plan. So that's another lever that uh, you know that we see we can uh, we can increase the value of Bunker Hill, and then the third one is uh, is really that mine life extension. You know, we're dealing with a we're dealing with a uh, area of mineralization that, you know, successfully operated a mine for, you know, over 100 years, Um, they never had to, uh, they never explored a depth, you know, at the, the, uh, the lowest level of the mine, um, you know, is at the 38 level around 4000 feet, that makes it really the shallowest of all the major mines here in the Silver Valley. And they never explored a depth, they never really needed to they always had 10 15 years worth of reserves in front of them yeah and and we're really excited about the opportunity that that uh, down dip potential um you know uh, has for us here at Bunker Hill
1: right so, so I want to be clear with the strategy for, before I leave you which is you know it's it's a nice perfectly formed small project which may throw off five five to ten free cash for you covers your G and 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 some would hope um you're going to look to do, you know try and extend the life of mine of, of that project but it's still going to be of a certain size which is not going to be that interesting something you said earlier which was more interesting in terms of, of growth was and a lot of companies kind of say it not many companies actually mean it which is um m a finding a project as you described earlier and and doing you know multiple versions of that that is says ambition and you know I want sort of want to know how do you, how do you get that balance so, you know are you more towards the well, let's just focus on the life of mine extension at Health Hill, uh, or is MA genuinely you know a, a big part of the of the growth story going forward
0: oh a is definitely a big part of the growth story and when you look across across the resource space you know there there's dozens of companies that have assets that uh, you know that are moving from that exploration phase into that development phase, and uh, and that's a differ that's a difficult stage to go through, and that's a and that with Bunker Hill is going to be demonstrating that you know we're you know we are kind of the premier team to take an asset from that exploration phase through that development phase and and into production. You know, so when we look out there from an M and A perspective, you know, it's uh, there is a. Uh, You know, there is a lot of interesting opportunities that exist with late stage exploration projects that are really looking for, you know, for a team and the capability and the know-how to take it through the next phase of value creation.
1: And access to capital.
0: Yeah.